Here comes another edition of Talking Football Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are ready to take stock in events in the Bundesliga after 15 games. We've wrapped up in a final flurry, three match days crammed into just 10 days. There's a lot to talk about, as ever, and with me to do that is a great one. Marie Schulte-Bockham. Hey, hey. Hi, Matt. Hi, I'm really glad... for a match day wrap up in about two months. So sad, sad, but happy, you know, because we have other events going on. So we'll see. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got uh, a small football tournament coming up. We've also got everything else in our lives, yeah. to be honest. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll make the best of it. Lots to talk about on this match day. As I mentioned, there's uh, really kind of events of three match days to talk about. But Principally, we'll be back with the best in the rest of Match Day 15. Some thoughts on the season so far as we head into this long winter break. In the meantime, please do subscribe to the pod. Please do leave us a five-star rating. It's a huge help to get the word out. If you really like us, consider supporting us on Patreon. we got lots of timeless content over there. We've got that whole series of historic Match Day moments. We'll be doing that the entire season. And we'll have some goodies for you during the winter pause. You can even suggest something for us to do over there. Anyway, be right back. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct. We're going to be talking about the best of the match day just gone, as we always do here. This was match day 15, but uh, in truth, we had a lot of match days over the last 10 days, 13, 14, and 15, especially considering the fact that we sat this one out here at Talking Foosball Direct following those two jam-packed match days. We really have had a topsy-turvy Bundesliga season thus far. I mean that in the best possible way. We've had some really unexpected results. We've had some downright shocking league leaders. But we're now heading into the long winter break with what I think is a pretty familiar feeling. FC Bayern, they went through the English Woche with a 100% record. They outscored their opponents, Hertha, Bremen, Schalke, 11-3 combined. And uh, they're back on top of the league to enter the big break. Let's dive into Bayern's latest success. As we know... You could hardly miss it, either in the United States or Germany. The NFL was taking over the Allianz Arena this weekend. That meant that Bayern were on the road. They were Auf Schalke. They're taking on the league's last place team on Saturday night. They got goals from Serge Gnabry and Eric Maxim Chupomoting. That was enough to seal a 2-0 win, even if it wasn't the route that some folks had maybe expected. Marie, what, what did you make of Bayern on Saturday night. Maybe they might have been saving a little bit in reserve, knowing basically their entire team is going to Qatar in a matter of days to play for their respective national teams. Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, I watched the full 90 minutes and I think you could say that maybe collectively the players on the pitch, you know, played in third or fourth gear to use a car analogy, a very European car analogy because you guys in the U.S. pretty much just have drive. We got D. <laughs> Our gear is D. <laughs> but um, on the other hand, you know, Julian Nagelsmann took this game very seriously. He played with his best 11 full force. And yeah, I mean, Leon Goretzka during the week, he was asked about this, if, if players 
would be kind of holding back a bit against Schalke to avoid injuries. And he said it's actually more dangerous to hold back because if you go full through, then it's your more natural body position as a top athlete. So he made this case that it would actually be more dangerous. And Nagelsmann also said that he talked to the players about this in the changing room and that it would be good for them to retain proper match fitness. I, I don't know. It's it's tough to say. I, I do think Schalke conducted themselves fairly well. They did as much as they could. In some ways, I think of this as very much a, a cup game of maybe a Bundesliga team playing a second or third division team. And after a while, it, you know, it being pretty clear that one side is better than the other and everyone kind of settled into that. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I did completely expect a blowout. Um, I thought this would be kind of a 4-1, 5-1, 6-0 type game, uh, and that didn't happen. But I think both sides have have something to do with that, and maybe the World Cup isn't as big a factor as we would have made it out to be. Because, you know, at the end of the day, there are other matches this weekend for example, Leipzig, they also have a lot of World Cup winners where the teams, you know, performed as expected and the draws ended as expected. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get to talking about Schalke in just a moment, but I, I want to stick with Bayern here for a second. I mean, I kind of alluded to it in my little intro that there's been tons of narratives swirling around Bayern. I mean, they, they started very strong with a couple of big wins. They had a pretty shaky September, but they have more or less righted the ship at this point. I mean, they're, you know, piling up wins, but not least after starting to play with a true number nine again in Eric Maxim Chupamoting. Obviously, <laughs> the future may hold many, many things, including, you know, injuries to various players or, you know, predicting a team's form in January is, is something of a fool's game. But do the signs to you of maybe the last month of Bayern's play points to another fairly comfortable league championship win. Yeah, I, I think they do. That's definitely the current trajectory. I think, you know, the truth will come out in what you alluded to with the World Cup. Bayern has 17 players going. That is ridiculous. It, ridiculous. it is ridiculous because it means that, you know, six players who aren't starters... You know, you know, physically, Bayern can only field 11 players in a game. So six of the bench players, which is almost the full bench, are still good enough to play in the greatest tournament that the sport has to offer on the world stage. And that that is something to behold. I doubt there's a single club in European football that is going to field more players. Of course, we still have a few squad announcements to go. But as of now, Bayern has the most. And, you know, I think the question is, we have never had this before. We've never had a World Cup in the middle of the season. So my, the, th the question in my head is, does this mean the players will be mentally and physically drained and distracted by this tournament? And so when the Bundesliga restarts, that could be an advantage for, you know, the other 17 teams in the Bundesliga that don't have 17 players off in Qatar. Or is this a massive advantage because they'll be... All those players will have match fitness. They won't be returning from long vacations. They'll be completely set to go. So I think it depends a lot on what the World Cup rule reveal. Of course, there's also a risk of injury to all those players. So who knows? But I do think that Freiburg, at least, you know, they 
kept their consistent form. So I don't expect them to completely, you know, collapse in the second half of the season, if we can call it that. Of course, the second half of the season is longer than a second half. It's more like <laughs> the second 60% of the season. But yeah, I think, you know, Bayern is very much the favorite to win the championship again. But I think if we're lucky, it could be a lot closer and the title, the battle for the championship could continue, you know, into the early summer or spring rather than, you know, everything being decided by March or April as as we've become used to in the past. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if they're going to have to squeeze, you know, 19 games into that second 60% or whatever percent that is coming up after the winter break. The season is just going to last longer. So I hope the fact that it's going till, you know, basically the very end of May, even even perhaps the first weekend in June, although maybe that's just the DFB call final weekend. I certainly don't want it to be over by late March. <laughs> that would suck. Yeah. You mentioned uh, some of the strength that you've seen from Freiburg, you know, and, and thinking that that's a good portent for the second half of the season. I do want to follow up on that when we get to them. But since I have you on, Marie, <laughs> it would be very silly not to talk about Schalke. This is a team whose, whose games you, you know, basically try not to miss. They are rock bottom. They played pretty well in this game, I would say, given the challenge that they had to overcome. They've had some pretty decent performances in recent weeks compared to where they were. How confident are you that they can get out of this predicament and what would be the sort of thing that they need to work on most if they want to sort of have a much better second 60% of the season? Yeah, I think Schalke has a lot of things that they can improve on, which bodes well for their future because, you know, the only way is up and away. They've definitely looked tactically and structurally a lot better under Thomas Reis, and that will only continue to improve also because he has you know, two months, give or take maybe three weeks of break or something for these players. He has two months to work with most of his squad and get used to them. So it's almost like a summer preparation because only one Chalka player, that's Maya Yoshida, is traveling to Qatar. You know, none of the other players were nominated for national teams. So that could be a huge advantage for the club. Then, of course, in defense, you have Kaminsky, Cisse, and Ovejan, who will all hopefully return from injury, which will ha give Schalke way more options in the back. Of course, van de, Sepp van de Berg, I just missed. So there's like a full backline of Schalke defenders that has been injured for weeks and in some cases months. Rodrigo Salazar, arguably the best yeah, footballer really in the team, is also going to return from injury. And Schalke really has to sign more players. And I think their inspiration in many ways is Mainz and what Mainz did a few years ago, where they also went into the winter break, I think, with nine points. And then Boswenson was appointed as coach, I should add. And Mainz made some very, very key signings, including Coa, Dominic Coa, Dani Da Costa, who both came from Frankfurt at the time. And, you know, they also pulled up some some players from their youth ranks. And all of those players were massive pillars of their starting 11 in the second half of the season. And, you know, Schalke, there are some parallels. You know, Thomas Reis is, is pretty new to the team. So that's your Bo Svensson, you know, if, if you like. And then if they do manage to sign a few good players. And I think one thing that will come in handy there is that Amin Arit, 
is now completely off the salary list. He earned five million and because of he he's played such a great season with Olympique Marseille so far, he's already reached the kind of cap of games or the minimum of games, I should say, that's needed to activate his sell clause. So Schalke's actually going to receive about five million in a transfer fee for Amin Arid early and they're rid of you know, the potential to have to pay for him from next summer onwards. So these are all little pieces that should give Schalke hope, you know, emphasis on the little because 5 million is obviously not a lot of room to play with in the winter transfer window. But who knows, maybe with some creative loan deals from second half players or foreign players, second division, I should say, or, you know, some reserve players for other Bundesliga teams that aren't getting enough minutes. You know, you only need two or three excellent players to lift up a team and then uh, who knows what will happen right well you, you sound reasonably convinced that this could work if not will work i wanted to ask a quick question before we sort of move on to other topics entirely i don't know kind of an interesting little side story from the game on saturday which was that uh cd sané got on the pitch for schalke i mean sort of maybe a little bit sadly after his brother Leroy had been taken off. Is there anything we should know about this youngster? Is 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 he some player that Schalke feel could make an impact in the future? Yeah, it's it's a little early to tell. He did perform very well under Norbert Elgert in the Schalke under nineteen, and Norbert Elgert, of course, has formed many a Schalke star, including Leroy Sané. Thomas Reis is also known for molding young players and giving young players a, an opportunity. He certainly did that at Bochum. So it's tough. I think it's a high burden to live up to, you know, having Sunny as a last name. He even looks a lot like Leroy Sunny. I think some Schalke fans might have taken a double turn, you know, with that big afro that Leroy Sunny also used to sport when he played for Schalke. But he's his own type of player. He's known to be very pacey. That's certainly something that Schalke can look forward to and something that they lack in their squad. The only very fast forward that they have is Jordan Larson, who's kind of hasn't lived up to the hopes so far. So so that could come in handy. But, you know, we don't know yet if he'll have the dribbling, the duel, the shooting, the passing capacities of his older brother, because not many people on this earth do. So, yeah, but, you know, that's another spark of hope. And I think he looked refreshing. He definitely tried a few things after he came on, which is never easy to do against Bayern Munich. So, you know, it can't hurt. And I think he'll get more opportunities moving forward. Nice. Yeah, I, I would be excited to see another young Sané come through. I, I enjoyed watching Leroy for Schalke very much. So, you know, big potential is always fun. <laughs> Let's move on to what I felt was a pretty elegant ending for the season's not quite first half. The final game of the match day was the two sort of surprise packages of the season – SA Freiburg and Union Berlin. I don't mean that in a, in a sort of uh, pejorative or a way to sort of take anything away from them, but I think it's pretty surprising to see these two teams meeting for the right to take sole possession of second place in the league with a win. And it was not a huge suspense situation. Fans in the uh, Europa Park Stadion did not have to wait very long to find out who was going to 
move into second place. I mean, Freiburg were up 1-0 after four minutes, 2-0 after six minutes, 3-0 after 20 minutes. And did I mention that Wignon missed a penalty and had a man sent off in that stretch? Yeah, I mean, getting back to this sort of, I don't know, big picture thing, is there any way that you would have been convinced that the battle for second place at this late stage in the season would have been Freiburg versus Union, if I had put that to you back in August? No. And if someone said yes to that question, then I would probably call them a liar. <laughs> I think Freiburg, you know, they have a very, very strong squad, a lot of depth in that squad. You only need to look at their attacking options. You know, they brought on... Chiré, the, you know, he, he's new to the team. Soloy came back from injury today. Also a player who could play in, in many Bundesliga sides. Doan is having the season of his life. Um, a great signing for them. And of course, Gregoric. Then you can bring in Peterson off the bench. Höhler is back from injury as well. They have so, so much creativity and so much skill on their attack that, you know, they really have about 10 players for four attacking positions, which, is great for them. And, you know, they brought Ginter back from Dortmund. And Ginter, I would say, you know, in, in his form from this season, I would almost expect him to start for Germany. I think he's ahead of, of Schlotterbeck, you know, in consistency and reliability. He's also, of course, an attacking thread in the opposite box because he's a great header of the ball. So maybe before the season, we could have spoken as Freiburg as a top six contender. But Union Berlin, no way. You know, I don't think anyone expected them to be in the relegation battle. They're just too consistent and they have too good a coach at this stage. But I think most people would have expected them to come in somewhere between 8 and 12. And, you know, instead they were first for many match days in a row. <laughs> um, and... And that was fascinating. And it's fascinating to have both of these teams play each other. I think in some ways this was a freak result. You know, you said that as well with with the way that the first 10 minutes went down and all those penalties and then later the red card uh, against, a, you know, a very essential defender. Diego Leite was kind of their most consistent defender besides Knoche this season and the one that was least touched by the rotation policy of Urs Fischer. But... Yeah, I think Union, basically, if I had to pick a side to that's going to stay up there longer, even in the Champions League spaces and competing for Champions League qualification, my money would still be on Freiburg just because I think they have an even higher quality of players on their squad than Union Berlin does. Yeah, I would have to agree. You brought up both the sort of depth that um, Freiburg have, uh, especially in the attacking third. And also, I mean, even as much as I like a number of Union's attacking players in, as well, I still think Vincenzo Grifo and maybe Rizzo Doan are just a cut above anybody that they have. And that's beginning to tell, I think. It's interesting that you brought up the idea that this is a freak result. And I, I agree from the circumstances of those first eight minutes, 20 minutes, whatever we want to look at it as, but it was a wild opening phase to this game. But I'm a little concerned for Union in that this was the second time this week that they got just absolutely blitzed. Yeah. You know, it happened in Leverkusen in their last away match. You know, they went home and they, they drew with Augsburg, which 
I don't think there's a hell of a lot of shame in these days because Augsburg are a pretty tough team to play against at the moment. But then getting, you know, really beat up again in their, you know, game on Sunday against Freiburg, it feels to me like there might be a little loss of belief or loss of, you know, the sense of inevitability of getting the job done. I'm not sure because this was such a rock solid team going into this English week. I mean, they had, you know, the second best or third best maybe defense in the league. And suddenly, (laughs) what, they gave up 12 goals this week? It's not looking great in that respect. Yeah, that that's certainly something to be worried about, especially because their defensive unity was really what made this team what it was. I mean, Bayern only scored one against them. Dortmund, I think, didn't score any. If I remember correctly, that was a 2-0 win, the Habera goals, or maybe even 3-0. Um, but this is a, a team that, especially at home, it's kind of like the season went as far as once Union scores, the game is over because they're not going to let anything happen at the back. Um, and that is really, you know, that's what we call in Germany almost a Turniermannschaft. You know, that's like if they were a World Cup team, they could advance to the final just, you know, with a lot of 1-0 and 2-0 wins. And yeah, they're definitely not the Brazil of the Bundesliga. But yeah, that's really what made them stick out. I think one way that they could, you know, regain that iron defense is maybe if they stop rotating their back five all the time. I I know that they do have, you know, all those players are pretty much of the same quality, especially the wingback positions. You know, they have Puchac, the Polish signing. They have Riasson, who can play both the left and the right. Gieselmann, Trimmel, and I'm probably forgetting one or two. But the fact that they play a different back line, you know, every week. And also in, at centre-back, you know, they have Knoche, they have Diego Leite, they have Doki. Yeah, but, you know, even there, that there's always some rotation. And I think one way to kind of regain composure is to just play the same players. And they won't have as many games. Of course, they're still in Europe, but, you know, it's not a group phase anymore. The European games will be more spaced out in the new year. Or, you know, they do what Cologne did. And, you know, Cologne was very unapologetic. Baumgartner, the coach, in playing his first 11 in the Bundesliga and then playing kind of the second guard in Europe. So that could be a way as well where you have basically two teams that both, or two defenses, you know, that both know each other, know what the guy on the left is going to do, know what the guy on the right is going to do. But the rotation at the back, and even, I mean, with the example of Riasson, playing him on the left side one week, then benching him, then playing him on the right, then playing on the right, then playing him on the left. It's just, I mean, it would be hard for any player to follow. Hmm. I definitely feel that they are the much likelier candidate to take a bit of a tumble in the second part of the season. But I'm not yet convinced that this is a, a more of a breakdown than a blip. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Let's talk about what was going on just behind these two sides, or I guess at this point, just behind one of these sides, in that uh, Leipzig now find themselves in third place behind Freiburg. They are going into the break on a, on a real tear, I have to say. It's a four-game win streak for Leipzig. They are unbeaten in eight league games. They had that sort of rip-roaring advance in the Champions League, basically a huge surge in the back half of the group stage that included a win over Real Madrid. This weekend, they were 2-1 winners over Werder Bremen. Not 
a huge fireworks show in this one, but certainly a, a good quality win at the Weserstadion. Looking at their form going into the break, do you see them pushing on in the same direction? I mean, their their early season struggles were kind of baffling to me, considering you know they were sort of going back to their roots, shall we say, with you know Marco Rosa being a somewhat more tactically flexible manager having a full season to prepare for things. Where do you see them headed after this break? I think they want to keep improving. And I think, you know, it's scary to think that two players as good as Guardiol, you know, who Chelsea and other teams were chasing in the summer, and David Raum, who was kind of celebrated as a huge signing, they've both been on poor form, you know, if we're honest. They've both been in poor form for the first half of the season. And I don't think that that will last. I think they'll get even better and that will make Leipzig better. And just, I mean, Leipzig's midfield is just gorgeous. You know, you have Soboslai and Olmo creatively. Um, then you have Schlager, Haidara, Kampel, you know, in the center of the field. Um, and no matter who you play, that's like a top three Bundesliga midfield. Vienna, you know, it's almost forgotten, but he got injured a few weeks ago. I mean, Germany certainly hasn't forgotten, but Leipzig's forgotten because Silva is uh, suddenly scoring. Nkunku, very interestingly, you know, is now very much playing as a center forward. That's different from last season, but apparently he had a discussion with Marco Rosa that that's where he sees himself. And he's he's top of the scorer list in the Bundesliga with 12 goals in 15 games. And it's just, it, it seems like everything they're doing right now works. I think if I had to nail the turnaround under Marco Rosa to one player, though, it would be Soboslai, who's really kind of the extended arm of Rosa on the field and just plays with such joy and such efficiency as well in terms of creating chances. I would say right now he's one of the hardest players in the Bundesliga for anyone to defend against. And yeah, I, I just think they have so much quality that they're going to continue challenging Bayern Munich to the top of the table. And they're also the kind of team, in my opinion, who could beat Bayern, you know, because Bayern is now four points clear. And for this to be an exciting Bundesliga again, they're going to have to drop points somewhere. And it's teams like Leipzig, I think, that can achieve that. Mm-hmm. All right. Any spare thoughts about Werder Bremen before we head into our own break on Talking Foosball Direct. I mean, this has certainly been of the promoted sides, the most surprising. Yeah, I think it's worth noting again that Werder Bremen has scored as many or more goals than Union Berlin and Borussia Dortmund. I mean, like, let that sink in for a second. If you compare, you know, Dortmund's attack with Werder Bremen's attack just by names alone, that's astonishing. And I think that they've just been fun. You know, Duksch and and Phil Krug, there's something retro about it. There's something very mid-2000s, something very, you know, Checo and Grafic or Huntela and Raul. You know, those two strikers up front, you know, there's a reason 442 became the name of a magazine because that was the playing formation for such a long time. And And this team, you know, as much as Union Berlin has kind of resurrected um, that formation and that attacking lineup. Mitchell Weiser, of course, I was actually kind of sad for him. I, I thought that he might be nominated for the World Cup. Um, oh, yeah. He's been I, in. I thought, I mean, Hansi Flick had shown no particular inclination to do that, but I thought 
maybe he was just undeniable because he's been one of the best fullbacks in the league this season by far. Yeah, and you know, right back, Germany doesn't really have anyone. They nominated Lukas Klostermann, who hasn't played a game yet because he was out of injury. And there's obviously the theory that a centre-back can play that position Mainly, you know, uh, Tilo Kera's done that a lot of times, or that maybe Josua Kimmich could be put there, and then Germany will play with Gundogan and Goretzka in the center of the field. But really, Germany doesn't have a good right back, and Mitchell Weiser, you know, was one of the best right backs in the league, and happens to carry a German passport. So it's a shame, but no, I think Werder Bremen was a lot of fun and. In true Werder Bremen fashion, the way that we've always known them, they concede pretty much every game, but then they just score one goal more. So it's worked in their favor. And I think if if they can only improve the defense as well now, then they might even, you know, make a push for conference league qualification or something of the sort. And wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> All right, let's take a little break of our own. Okay, here comes part two of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone, you know, plus the two previous match days in the English week, plus as much of the season as we want to talk about. You know, <laughs> we're staying flexible here. I think we could probably start this section where every discussion is going to be a bit briefer with the first game of the match day. That was Borussia Mönchengladbach taking down Borussia Dortmund for two. This was <laughs> a characteristically wild Friday night game, one that really probably could have gone any number of different ways. There were many, many chances for both sides in this game. But you really got to chalk things up perhaps to Dortmund's just <laughs> I don't know even how to describe their defense at this point. <laughs> they are a mistake machine. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, some of those scenes were blooper-worthy. I mean, Schlotterbeck sliding, just, oh, it was it was awful. And I can't believe that, you know, Zule and Schlotterbeck could very much be the back line at the World Cup. Of course, Antonio Rüdiger is pretty much set there, but it's just, it's awful. And, I mean, it, it's scary to think, you know, I mean, Marcus Thuram and Alassane Plea, Jonas Hoffmann, they're exceptional players, but that's still very different from, you know, if you say you have Kylian Mbappé and Benzema running at your back line, uh, which may very well be the case at some point in the tournament. So, yeah, it's funny in the sense that Dortmund keeps investing in their defense and it keeps becoming more porous. And, you know, I saw someone on Twitter wrote, I think it was actually Manuel Feit um, from Transfermarkt, you know, a dear colleague that it's in the past few years, Dortmund keeps signing very good Bundesliga players and then they get worse at Dortmund. And that's certainly harsh, but, you know, this is another season where that's arguably true. And, I think we do have to start asking questions about Edin Terzic because it's hard with the quality of their squad, with the how well it was reinforced in the summer. It's hard to watch how bad their defensive line is. And, you know, their own expectation would be that they would be second in the table at the moment. 
and instead they have Union and Freiburg above them. And yeah, it's just, there's a lot of that's going wrong at Dortmund. And I would say that without Jude Bellingham, their 19-year-old playmaker, they would be further down in the Bundesliga table still. And it's also not great when you have a teenager as the leader, both in terms of organization, but also in terms of quality of play for your team. So yeah, I think Dortmund, there's a lot to rip into there for sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree that without Bellingham, I, I think that they could very well have found themselves down in 10th, 11th, 12th place. I think this has been one of the worst underperformances from Dortmund in recent memory. I mean, they've had a lot of seasons where things have gone off the rails at one point or another. But given where they finished last season, which is second, and the fact that they strengthened a lot of areas which folks believed were areas of need, and they find themselves now nine points off the pace and making the same dumb mistakes that they have for ages, it does put into question all kinds of things, including... Edin Terzic and the people who hired him and the people who decided that, you know, other than someone like maybe Mats Hummels, who is older and who is vocal on the pitch, you don't have very many leaders in that team other than him and Bellingham. You got a lot of guys who don't talk a lot or who maybe don't have the best German or who maybe don't have the personality for it. And <laughs> it seems like year after year, everyone's just kind of looking at each other about, huh? How did that happen? And uh, <laughs> it's not a way to actually challenge for the league, which is, I thought, what they were trying to do over there. <laughs> okay, before we before we sort of flap our gums into uh, confetti over Dortmund, what are your thoughts about Gladbach coming out of this game? I mean, it's good for them to show the killer instinct to put four goals past Dortmund. And, you know, this was a game, I guess, throughout the first half. It was 3-2 at the half. And, you know, getting that fourth goal in the second half and holding on to that lead showed a degree of metal. But, man, they're the most up-and-down team this season. We've seen them look spectacular, and we have seen them get hammered on multiple occasions. Yeah, Gladbach is a really frustrating team because – you know, there are games where you think, wow, this is the Gladbach of old. They should be playing Champions League. And, you know, there's been some bad luck. You know, if you lose the, arguably the best keeper in the Bundesliga to injury and then you lose his number two to injury as well, then that's, you know, very, very poor luck. But yeah, I can't draw any wisdom from watching Gladbach. I don't want to sniff at Olszewski too badly, though, at the moment, though. He's, yeah. he, he played quite well, especially in this game. Yeah, you might be the number two after the way he's performed. Zippel is also, I mean, not not an excellent keeper, I would say. But no, I, I don't really know what to make of Gladbach. I think they're not consistent enough to be a contender for a Champions League qualification this season. And they might even struggle to qualify for the Europa League, given that other teams are overperforming right now. And I don't just mean Union and Freiburg. I also mean teams like Bremen and Wolfsburg, you know. And it should really be Gladbach's aspiration to be above those four teams. And then, you know, they're struggling to do that. Um, they're eighth right now. And yeah, I, it's, it's tricky. I think Marcus Thuram is having an incredible season. You know, he's scored 10 and he pretty much plays as a center for it now, which is also new, you know, he's 
He's previously played more as a winger. So that's that was an interesting change. They have so much quality. Also, the fact that Stindl can be on the bench, you know, says it all. So in terms of attack, they have a lot of quality. I think one thing that could really improve them is also the return of Ko Itakura, who early in the season was, you know, probably a top four or five centre-back in the league. He was very, very good. Yeah. And almost like a playmaker in central defence. So that will really lift them up. But... Yeah, I wouldn't want to be a Gladbach fan, let's put it that way, because it's it's just so frustrating. Uh, in some ways, also similar to Dortmund, you know, in the sense that, you know, they'll have games to make the Dortmund comparison, like the 2 all versus Bayern with Modest scoring, where you think, wow, this is the Dortmund that can challenge the very top. And then, you know, in Gladbach's case, that was, for, for example, the game against Cologne, where they I think they won 5-1 in the derby. But then they also have complete blackout games. So, yeah, some work to be done at Gladbach still. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about the other game from Sunday, which was Mainz versus Eintracht. This is sort of a, a semi-derby. Certainly certainly a derby for Mainz, but not 100% so for Eintracht, perhaps. But it was a tight one. It was a 1-1 game. I would say, unlike... Dortmund and Gladbach, I'm beginning to see some real steadiness from Eintracht. I'm beginning to see that they are a good bet to stick around in the top four, maybe top six for the remainder of the season. How do you see their development at the moment and where do you think things might be going? Yeah, I think one thing that I really noticed as the season progressed is that at Eintracht, the first 11 really started crystallizing and playing consistently. Early in the season, there was still some turnover, especially in midfield and in attack. You know, you know, it was uh, Rafael Bore, Alario and Colomani all competing for that one spot. Then you had Lindström, Kamara, Götze, you know, sometimes being pushed around from the wings to the center to the other wing. And I would say... Uh, as soon as October, you know, there really was one consistent team and they all played consistently on an individual basis as well. So that was really beautiful to watch, actually. And they really have a very strong team now and a really strong coach, of course, as well. And I think one person I'd really want to lift above the others here who sticks out and, and is still a very strong side to me, has been Mario Götze. And I think something that is particularly noteworthy and perhaps doesn't stick out to the naked eye, but I did some research on him and he's in the top five of all Bundesliga players, both in terms of intensive runs. So, you know, longer runs, sprints, you know, the, the sheer number of intensive runs, he's in the top five in the whole league and also total distance covered. And, you know, that really shows that he's changed his game because that, I mean, was certainly not his reputation when he first broke out in the Bundesliga. He was more seen as that number 10 of old, that beautiful playmaker with the deadly pass. And now he's really putting in the dirty work. He's making those runs and he's perhaps compensating for his progressing age with just work rate and he's changed you know he, he plays a bit deeper not as far forward but he I love the way that Glasner has found space for him and Kamada to both be on the pitch at the same time 
I think that would be a tragedy to have one of those players on the bench because they're both so exciting to watch and share some qualities. But, you know, there's so much going right. And, and then you have other players returning. Touré is going to return from injury uh, for them at the back. And I think something to keep in mind is also that there are murmurings about Ruben Gosens perhaps joining Frankfurt. And I think that could be very much a missing piece, you know, to have him as that, you know, to use very new German Schienen player. So, you know, the the track player on the left track, very, you know, he could be perhaps a long-term replacement for Kostic, who, to Frankfurt's credit, has also not been mentioned in a while, but was very much their best player for years and years on end. So, yeah, I think both in terms of individual quality but also as a as a team they're definitely greater than the sum of their parts but their parts are also looking very shiny right now yeah i mean i think about some of those players that you mentioned there's a lot of shiny parts there's a lot of reasons to watch this team i think that they have really climbed in a, maybe a, a sort of hypothetical ranking among neutrals about you know teams that you like to watch even if you don't support them or players that you enjoy watching just because their game captivates you. So I'm very pleased <laughs> to see them uh, sort of work out those kinks that maybe were happening in the early part of the season when they were sort of adjusting to life without Philip Costage. Well, let's talk a little bit, but just a little bit, about uh, this weekend's version of uh, El Plastico. That was uh, Hoffenheim versus Wolfsburg. It was a 2-1 win for Wolfsburg in Zinsheim. Wolfsburg have been quietly climbing the table in recent weeks. Really poor start to the season. Some question marks behind the decision to put Niko Kovac in charge. A sort of small kerfuffle, a battle of wills, let's just say, between him and Max Kruse in the early weeks of the season. We, you know, know who won that one. And I would say over the last six weeks, Wolfsburg have put a lot of good steps forward. This game, I think, maybe was a little bit fortunate for them in terms of, you know, conversion of chances, etc. But they seem to be moving in the right direction. What do you see in their progress and, and indeed maybe also in Hoffenheim's fall? They have, uh, you know, had a pretty poor last six weeks. Yeah, I would say that this has become slowly but surely very much a Kovac team. And I think to his credit, you know, he doesn't really care about big names or the signing fee of a player. For example, Svanberg, who was signed for a lot of money in the summer, hasn't been a starter lately, whereas Felix Metzger in midfield, and yeah, that's not Lukas Metzger, the German national team player, but his younger brother Felix has earned his spot. Yannick Gerhardt, all these kind of unglamorous players who are more seen as squad players um, are currently shining under Kovac and are becoming trusted soldiers in his setup. Maxi Arnold, the captain, is on a, a bit of a goal scorer's streak. And even in defense, you know, the, the most glorious name, Lacroix, is benched right now in favor of Van den Veen and, and Bornau. So I, I do think they're very much becoming an aggressive team that's hard to play, unpredictable up front. You know, they haven't quite found their number nine yet. There's been a lot of rotation in that position between Mamouche, Vint, who's come back, and some other candidates. Uh, Weltschmidt got a few seconds in this game at the very end. But yeah, I think those... Valschmidt, of course, is another, I would say, perhaps loser of the Kovac era. 
alongside Guy Lavogie, Roussillon, some some really big names there um, who are kind of being forced out, forced onto the bench. But one thing that has really worked well for them, I would say, is uh, Ried Lebac, who is on great form, Paolo Ottavio is on excellent form. So they have this kind of mix of physicality, aggression and duels, and then also speed, all, you know, signs of physical fitness, which is what Kovac is always known for. And I think that makes them a really uncomfortable opponent to play. Yeah, it's almost like we could have seen it coming if we had just had the patience in the early part of the season. But, you know, overreacting is what weekly podcasting is all about, perhaps. <laughs> yes. Another big win for a team who had a terrible start to the season. That was uh, Bayer Nulfia Leverkusen. 2-0 winners over uh, Faufbe Stuttgart. They had a sort of mini resurgence this week, I suppose. What do you see as sort of constituting the improvement in recent weeks? Or, or maybe more broadly, what's changed in the Xabi Alonso era, young as it is? Yeah, I think, and I know it sounds harsh because I do really like Xabi Alonso, but I think it's premature to credit him for this change. I think more that this is perhaps random and and perhaps to do with individual players. For example, in the two wins that were mentioned and in this week where they were able to really celebrate some good results, to me there are two players that really stuck out that to me were both unexpected and that's uh, Amiri and Palacios kind of you know, central midfielders. Amiri didn't get many minutes at the beginning of the season, then slowly worked his way into Xabi Alonso's plans, uh, first as a substitute and then as a starter. And Palacios is just really consistent and has very much won that space in central midfield over prominent competition. You know, there's Andrich, Demirbay, uh, the aforementioned Amiri, they have a lot of quality in the center of the field. Um, so those two players really stuck out to me. And then, of course, Musa Diaby is scoring again. And that's huge because I don't think he ever stopped creating chances and getting into good positions. But there was just, I don't know if, if we want to call it misfortune or bad decision making or, you know, efficiency, a matter of efficiency. But he hadn't scored very much at the beginning of the season, same as you know, Schick, for example, and other Leverkusen attackers, but he's finally doing that again. So I think this is kind of, you know, a sum of, of a variety of factors. But yeah, I thought it might be worth mentioning Palacios and Amiri because following the press, I, I feel like they, they haven't gotten their due respect yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm pleased to see so many of these uh, players who <laughs> who started the season just looking a little bit off, finally showing themselves to be the guys who we thought they were in a lot of ways. Let's talk quickly about another 2-0 result from the weekend. A 2-0 win for Hertha BSC at home against Cologne. Obviously, you know my stake in the matter. <laughs> I think this was a really, 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 really critical win at this particular juncture of the season. There has been so much good will behind this team, behind this coach, behind this new president, you know, Hertha, Sandra Schwarz and Kai Bernstein, respectively, that could have just sort of blown away if they had gone into the winter break on 11 points and potentially, you know, second bottom of the table. So this win is somewhat 
labored as it was, I mean, Cologne certainly had the chance to get back in this game on a number of occasions. I think it's pretty huge. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Particularly because I think these teams in terms of quality are very evenly matched. So this was a game that could have gone either way. And in some ways, I watched a lot of this game, actually. And I think this was really a triumph of willpower and efficiency. And, and that's what you need to stay in this league. And that's what Hertha showed. You know, Lu Dori Lukabakio has been very much the Lukabakio that we were first introduced to at Fortuna Düsseldorf. You know, it must be now four years ago. He's been exceptional this season. I think Toussaint also has really become kind of the the strategist, the director of, of this team. He's grown into that role very slowly, but he, that is now his role, I would say. And then, you know, you have players like Boetius, Richter, Euke, who, Mittelstedt even sometimes when he plays a more attacking position, who kind of take it in turns to have a good day. And that's all you need to have one of those excellent players you know, to have a great cross or a great free kick or a shot from distance. That's all you need to score a goal. Konga, I think, over large stretches of this season has been very disappointing. And I would say that's also a, kind of a weak point of Hertha that they don't have a great number nine. But, you know, he's scored two very important goals recently. First, the winner against Schalke and then this goal in this game. So... Maybe that's all he needed. Maybe it's a confidence thing, as it so often is for central strikers. And yeah, I think there's a lot to like about Hertha this season. For sure. You know, if you like Hertha. <laughs> Any worries about Cologne? I know that I agree the fundamentals of this squad, especially now that, um, you know, their one-time talisman and, and, you know, Anthony Badest has, has moved on from the beginning of this season. This is now a squad that I think... We shouldn't be terribly surprised might be playing against relegation in the remainder of the season. But, you know, Stefan Baumgart came right out and said that after this game. He was like, you know, we don't we don't need to kid ourselves. This is going to be a relegation battle from here on out. Is he overreacting or is yeah. that just the deal? No, and I think, you know, the the double pressure of having the Conference League and the Bundesliga really showed that this season because – I think Cologne maybe has 14 players who have great Bundesliga caliber to be in a starting 11, but that's it. And then when you have the players beyond those 14, or then when you have injuries, you really see the quality on the pitch lessen. And, and that's really hard because, you know, Hubers, who's kind of the leader of defense, was injured, you know, early this week. Then when you have Tiggers injured or, or Dietz injured, in attack that shows and it shows when you know Adamian you know he missed two blinder to absolute 100% chances in front of goal this weekend and Schindler you know has had a few terrible mistakes um, defensively you, you know basically this kind of second or the bench players at Cologne I think are not Bundesliga worthy and that can really go on to hurt them if there are injuries. Because I think their first 11, Skiri, Kainz are very, very good Bundesliga players, especially Kainz. Maina is very talented. Martel has had kind of a breakout season as well. So they have quality. You know, Jonas Hector, of course, has exceptional experience. But after that, you know, there there isn't really much to talk of. So I think they just have to 
hopefully avoid injuries. Maybe also Shabot coming back. You know, he had a very great start to the season, then had an injury. Maybe him coming back could lift up the team. But yeah, it's a little shaky. I think they're one of those teams that if there's a streak of bad form or some injuries, they could very quickly find themselves in the bottom four teams in the Bundesliga. Yeah, I guess there's just one more game to talk about. And it's it, two teams who I think are much more firmly in the relegation conversation. Bochum, who are now second bottom, as well as Augsburg, who are in 14th place. Bochum getting a 1-0 win in Augsburg. I think it could quite easily have turned into a draw had uh, Megan Berisha not messed up his penalty kick. But, yeah, I did have some words of praise for Augsburg uh, earlier in the podcast, mostly due to the fact that I think, you know, other than that one bad result against Bayern, which, you know, it's against Bayern, they haven't really not gotten blown out at all this season. And I find them a much tougher nut to crack for opponents. But still, you know, they're, they're in 15th place. What do we make of where these two teams are headed moving into the second 60% of the season? Yeah, I mean, Augsburg to me, they're something, they're like the kind of the bad boys in the Bundesliga because of how much they foul. Yeah. There are always so many yellow cards. I think referees literally prepare to, you know, whenever they get assigned Augsburg. And in some ways, they're like, that makes them kind of fun because it's like, I, I don't know, that makes them fun to watch. And, there's also something about Enrico Maas and the fact that he sometimes plays with four strikers, you know, Berisha and Demirovic and Nida Lechner and Hahn before his injuries. That's just like very ballsy. And in some ways, the way they play with the fouls and the strikers and kind of, you know, all the, the duels and, you know, trying to be compact at the back. To me, they're almost like a poor man's, or I should say perhaps a very poor man's, Atletico Madrid, you know, just the, that physicality and basically they're very unscrupulous in the way they play. And I think somehow against all odds, I, I think they will stay in the Bundesliga again this year. And every every summer I say Augsburg is going to get relegated, this year included. I really saw them as, you know, bottom three along with Bochum. But no, they, you know, they're really doing well and kudos to them. I think in this game against Bochum, to me, two Bochum players really stuck out positively. And that was, of course, the goal scorer, Antwi who could have scored two more goals, actually. He just has a knack of making those runs between the defensive lines, you know, behind the defense and getting on the end of a ball. It almost reminds me a little bit of Brill Embolo uh, in some ways, who also had that quality of anticipating a pass and then shaking off defenders through, you know, speed and, and also using his body. Although Antwi Ajay, you know, has a very different, you know, physicality to Brel Embolo. He, you know, he's, he's very slight in stature. That quality to make those deep runs and then finish off the opportunity. I think that's definitely comparable. But the other player that really sticks out to me and with Bochum is Kevin Stöger, who honestly is, really really fun to watch you know you can always give him the ball he shields it he finds another player and he's just a gloriously talented footballer who I think could play for you know a lot of Bundesliga teams and had a few deadly balls in this game as well and they do have you know some individual quality at Bochum that 
I think in some ways lifts them above a team like Schalke, you know, because they do have some players who can have great breakout games. There was also Philipp Förster's game against Frankfurt where he scored two. And yeah, I mean, Philipp Hoffmann is a decent striker who will probably score somewhere between five and ten goals this season, which is okay for a promoted side. So yeah, obviously this was you know, the least interesting game of the match day, I would say. There were a lot of missed passes. It was definitely not a great quality game, but both of those clubs, I think, will go into the winter break with a lot to be proud of. That is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct. It was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Really nice having you back on, Marie. Thanks, Matt. Uh, yeah, I think... I'll be watching the World Cup very much through a Bundesliga lens, so keeping tabs on all the players that we know from Freiburg and and Union and all the other teams just in their national team colors for once. Yep, yep. It is, you know, as we kind of alluded to, it's, it's not the easiest World Cup to support, but I still find it very hard not to support the sort of stories of these players' careers and lives, you know, even... Even if it is a something of an unfortunate tournament. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, you can find Marie on Twitter, of course, at Marie Shubo. Although, you know, who knows how much longer that'll be the case. <laughs> uh, if you want to contact me over there, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. The same caveat goes for me. Talking Foosball Extra is coming up in a couple of days. So do say hi to Nick and the gang for me. This is some Nick's and Moyo. Moyo.